What do you mean you can't speak? You put that down and talked to me, Zachariah. You went to the temple to burn incense, and now you can't speak. Because you doubted. <laughs> what does that even mean? You doubted what an angel told you. Oh, now it's all making sense. <laughs> you feel it all right, huh? Maybe you should sit down. Oh, I should sit down. Listen, whatever game you're playing, I really wanted to stop, Zachariah. It isn't funny. This isn't funny, Zachariah. An angel told you this. The angel said that our prayers have been heard. That you, my love, will bear a son. We will be filled with joy and gladness, and that many will rejoice at his birth. <laughs> he will be like Elijah. He will prepare our people for the Lord. <laughs> to be a mother. And you! You can't even speak! Oh, you can't even speak until he's bored. <laughs> oh, that might not be the worst thing. <laughs> can't wait to tell my cousin Mary. We will call him Zachariah, yeah? Could you imagine that conversation? I, I mean, really. You know, I think all too often we think of the Christmas story, we think of the events, and, and we often use that word story, and, and, and somehow we think that, that maybe, you know, it, it's sort of a fairy tale. A lot of people think it is. 
But they had that conversation. It might not have gone exactly like that. I mean, that's, you know, sort of what it might have gone like. But could you imagine having that conversation? Uh, That was a real, live event. Human beings had that conversation. And, and it's because of the acts of God that they had that conversation, obviously, but it is because of the act of God in history and throughout and continuing through history that, that we are here today and that we can have joy and peace, even in times of trouble. And this morning we're going to be looking at Elizabeth and Zechariah and the events surrounding their lives. And, and you know, names matter. You saw the name John there. That matters. Um, you know, names can influence who we are, and they can influence how we're treated by the world around us. I, I recently read of a man by the name of who, Jose who was applying for a bunch of jobs, and he didn't once get an interview until on an application he misspelled his name and he spelled it Joe. Then he got an application. Happens in our culture Today, Names can also influence our behavior. If you don't think that's true, just ask somebody who recently uh, began to be called Nana or Papa. It just turns them into somebody different. You know, they, they don't just go shopping anymore. Right? They don't... Anyway, you understand what I'm talking about there. There's an old joke... Um, In many families, it's a tradition to name a a new baby after the relative in the family who most recently passed away, which is not always a good idea. Just ask my sister, uncle. Also, you know, first service got that one. This service just... um, Let's try this one. Ever been called by your first and middle name? Tell me that doesn't change your behavior a little bit. David Keith... You knew, you know something's up. And it's not going to be good when your parents use your middle name. Names matter. Um, there was an old t- television sitcom called Barney Miller. Anybody ever watch Barney Miller? Wow. It, I, I actually, is there anybody in this room that actually watched? You did. Okay, well, maybe I should skip this one then. No, anyway. It, it's about a group of detectives in New York. And they're not the smartest detectives. It, it was a sitcom. Right, and uh, there's a guy. There, one of the detectives' name was Wojohowicz. Um, they called him Wojo for short. And uh, they were called out to this bank robbery. And when they got there, the the guys were just getting away, and they didn't catch them. But Wojohowicz thought that if he could just remember one of the bank robbers' names, because he heard him call out to the other bank robber as they were running off, and and he kept trying to all throughout the episode. He kept saying, "Hey." Uh, you know, and then he would just, he couldn't remember. Hey! And then finally, uh, by the end of the, the uh, episode, he remembered what the crook shouted. Finally it came to him. He said, Hey, behind you! It's a cop! Wow. Okay. Throw out the first page of things today. I hope they recorded first service because... Uh... Now, names in the Bible are significant. Um... Uh, the, the naming of a child is not only meant to identify the individual, but it also carries with it uh, uh, destiny, uh, character, uh, rich symbolic meaning. And in the video we saw where Zachariah shares with Elizabeth the name of this promised child that they're going to have. And, and it would, according to tradition, it would be 
named after him. The, the name of the child would be Zechariah, and he would write his son's name down for others to see again later uh, when family and friends are assembled for this exciting birth because they assumed, as did Elizabeth, that he would be named Zechariah. In fact, let's all turn to Luke chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend the majority of time this morning. Luke chapter 1, and I want to read, uh, sort of begin at the end. We're going to read verses 57 through 66. Uh, Luke chapter 1, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab one from underneath the seat. It's, it's page 1012 in the, in the Bibles underneath the seats. Uh, starting in verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have the baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Everybody was gathered. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, which I think is interesting. What they is Luke talking about? Um, the they there must be all of the family and friends and relatives that came for this occasion of, of the circumcision because it says they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. So then they turned to Zechariah. Uh, let's see. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child because he obviously doesn't know what she's talking about. Verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to sing, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Now each of the names of this tiny family that we're looking at today uh, have significance. Um, and it's a significance that I believe helps shape our own stories and our own hope and expectation. Zechariah means God remembers. Elizabeth means God is my oath. And John means God has been gracious. And we're going to look at each one of the meanings of those names as we go throughout the message this morning. And during Advent, um, Advent is a time of expectancy. It is a period of time where, where you are waiting on something. You are hoping for something. Where you are remembering and exploring. And, and this event that we read about here is instrumental in preparing the way for the coming Messiah. Which, again is a real historical event that occurred in the history of our world. We have to remember that because in all of the stuff and all of the, you know, the tinsel and the trees and the presents and all of that, we can forget, if not necessarily intentionally, but, but somehow it can escape us. You know, we watch 30 days of sappy Christmas movie, movies, Right? I mean, they started before Thanksgiving. The, the DVR on our television at home, it's just one a day. Ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. You know, and, and life doesn't happen that way. And we can think that somehow the miraculous is sort of the fairy tale. But that's not true. It is the reality as we look at these events of Zechariah and Elizabeth and John today. So the first point in your, your notes this morning is God remembers. God remembers. And, and some of the blanks aren't going to match up because when I first wrote the note sheet, I, I had these in the past tense and I decided, you know what, these are all present tense as well. Um, yes, God remembered 
Zechariah and Elizabeth, but God remembers us, and we need to remember that ourselves. God remembers. God did indeed remember his promises and the prayers of his servant Zechariah. God indeed remembers the promises and the covenants that he made with the nation of Israel, and he's in the process of carrying that out throughout history. God did indeed make an oath to his servant Elizabeth. He said, I'm going to give you a child, and he did. God made covenants and oaths with the nation of Israel. He said, I am going to do this. Now, I am going to do this in my own time, but God said, I am going to do this, and we need to trust that that is the truth. This oath to Elizabeth was fulfilled when John was born, and indeed God has been gracious and will continue to be gracious to us as the name of John claims in the very definition of, of his name. When John is born, Zacharias thinks, could you imagine nine months of not being able to say anything? He's a pastor. Nine months he can't speak. I can't imagine how difficult that would be. And he sings at the top of his lungs at the end when his son is born and they take him to be circumcised at the temple. And, and it's only after we see the really the details leading up to this moment in time that we can truly understand the description that we have here in, in Luke chapter 1. So let's move back from the birth that we just read about and let's read beginning at the beginning of Luke chapter 1 and see how God remembers, how God makes an oath, and how God shows his graciousness through the circumstances and timing leading up to this event of the birth. Not unlike many of our own stories and journeys with the Lord. Really. Um, so, Luke chapter 1, let's read, begin reading in verse 5. Uh, 5 through 7 says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, which we're going to be talking about next week, uh, we're going to be focusing in on Herod and his part in the events that God was unfolding, um, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were both from families of priests, and priests in this culture were held in high esteem. And so here you have a family, a couple, with, with double this high esteem because there's two of them, both descendants, in a priestly line. Also, verse 6 says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were viewed by their culture and peers as the epitome of what it meant to live lives of Jewish devotion and faithfulness. They were upright. They observed all of the commandments. Yet, even with this rich heritage and even with this faithfulness, Elizabeth has no child. She is barren, and it uses the word barren. And if you think about barren ground, you think about desolate ground. You think about ground that is dead. It's, it's not possible for it to produce life. And that is, that's the description of barrenness in this culture in this day. Uh, in fact, barrenness was even equated to death. Because here we find, and it's going to be, unless something changes, the end of the Zechariah and Elizabeth family line. It's over. Their family will not continue on unless there's a child. 
So she is barren, and many would like to would would like to point to this and say that that they're barren, that she's barren because of something that she did wrong, or somebody in the family did something wrong. What great sin have they committed that that caused God to make her barren? But we know that that's not true because of what it says in verse six that that they were upright. So it's not because of sin. It's because of God. It's it's with purpose that God has caused Elizabeth's womb to be closed. And as the years went by, I I wonder when that moment was in their relationship, in their marriage, where they both sat down from each other at the dinner table and they just both kind of lost hope of having a child. You know, they just both kind of resigned themselves to the fact that, you know, we have each other, but that's it. Our, our family line is going to end. Uh, maybe they didn't ever give up hope, and they prayed constantly, continually, every day. But I would think that in regards to having a child themselves, there was a point in time where Elizabeth said, yeah, it just ain't going to happen. It, 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 it's not going to happen. But um, God would promise her a son. And, and in that promise, Elizabeth was about to join the ranks of her ancestors, several of them who also were in this same place in life. If you think of Abraham and Sarah, they were in this place. If you think of, of Hannah and her husband, they were in this place, barren, without children. And then God intervenes in history and he makes something happen. And, and, and we need to recognize that God does that in our lives today. You know, God, God for a reason and a purpose. I, I wonder how many of us in here in this room today would, would say that right now your life, uh, maybe your experience is feeling a bit barren. It, 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 maybe it's a hard, difficult thing. Maybe it's a health thing or whatever. But, but, but you feel like uh, your prayers for whatever it is have gone unanswered. And, and God is... God's just not doing anything. And, that, and that's actually where Israel felt like. It's been centuries since God has spoken to them. It's been centuries since they have seen a prophet speak the word of the Lord. There's been nothing. Until this day. Until God makes this promise. You know, Hannah's story is told in 1 Samuel chapters 1 and 2. Sarah's is told in Genesis chapter 12 through chapter 21. In fact, Sarah giving birth to her son Isaac is, is almost a parallel to what happens with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Sarah and Abraham's story is in Genesis chapter 20, 21, verses 1 through 7. Let's, let's read these real quick. They'll be up on the screen. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. There's a promise, and God fulfilled it. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the, the name Isaac to the son of Sarah, that the son, to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Sarah's like, are you kidding me? 
Could, I, I mean, she, laughter of joy, at least after she has the child, because she knows that God has fulfilled this promise, and everyone around them. Can you imagine? Let's say you were going to live to... Uh, let's, I, I, it almost scares me to say something like this, because I'm afraid that something might happen. But, but you know, we're like, you know, 70 years old, and Sarah comes home one day and says, guess what? Guess what? We're going to have a son. And what would I do? Honestly, what would my response be? I would laugh. I'd go, <laughs> yeah, right, whatever. And she'd go, no, seriously. I'm telling you the truth. And then it would start to sink in. But, but that's just, you know, that's just not one of those, what we would say is chance kind of things, right? Um, this is a case where, where there was a word from the Lord that said, this is going to happen. God promises you this. Because he's moving. It's been hundreds of years, and now, now is the moment, now is the time, God is working. God is working. So Sarah's womb was no longer equaled with barrenness and death. Now it was a place where a creative, miraculous act had happened. A place where life had been housed and come forth. The same would soon happen to Elizabeth. As God promised her that life would come from her womb as it had from Sarah's. And later in his letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul would compare such a conception to a resurrection from the dead. In, in uh, Galatians uh, or, yeah, Galatians chapter 4, verses 27 and 28 say this. Um, Paul says, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of promise. The covenant promised by God to Abraham and Sarah parallels the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. God remembers and God gave his oath to this couple and, and, and not only was God gracious to them but also through them he has been gracious to us and continues to be now I think each and every one of us plays a part in the role of salvation in the world just as Zechariah and Elizabeth did because God put his hand on them and had them appointed for a time such as this. And I believe God has appointed each one of us our own time to be that person to that other person who sees Christ in us. Who, who could be saved because of us. And it's with the birth of John that everyone would soon be able to celebrate the advent of the Savior from the first century even until now. Year after year after year we celebrate Advent. What an, a joyous occasion. John would prepare the way for the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us. And we continue their story in Luke chapter 1, where we see the oath God makes to Zechariah, and God, point number two, fulfills his oaths. God fulfills his promises, if you want to use that word, or covenants. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now this is the crazy thing to me. 
This is how good God is at fulfilling His promises. Okay, because when God acts and when God is, is doing what God does, it's going to happen. Zechariah was an old priest who served as a member of the priestly division known as Abijah. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, we see King David organizing the priests. And he sets up this, this incredible organization of how the temple is going to be run and who's going to take care of it and, and, and what families and, and all of that. And so he organizes the priests into 24 divisions that would serve in different rotating capacities. And then verse 10 of 1 Chronicles 24 notes that the eighth of the 24 contingents was the division of Abijah. And that's the division that Zechariah serves in. Okay, this is the division that is, is up on their rotation for the year. And they, they rotate throughout the year and priests would be on duty for one week at a time in order to serve the needs of the people who were coming to sacrifice and worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And each division essentially served twice a year. So, so Zechariah has only two shots a year to do what he's doing at this moment at this time. Okay, and here's the other thing that we need to recognize. Each division had hundreds of priests who would be called on during their week of service to perform the different priestly duties. In fact, um, out of the 24 divisions, um, scholars believe, and if I could find the number in my notes, that would be great. Scholars estimate that during the time Zechariah served as priest, there were approximately 20,000 Jewish priests. So out of 20,000 Jewish priests, the... the uh, um, the, the priesthood of Abijah are up for their rotation, and out of however many hundreds are, are available for that, the way that they choose the one priest who will go into the Holy of Holies and burn the incense is by casting lots. So they, they throw all of the priests that are up in this particular time, they write their names down on little stones or whatever they had at that time, little pieces of paper. They throw them all in a hat, and they draw a name out. And at this particular moment in time, that name is Zechariah. It's not chance. It, it's chance, right? But it's not. At first service, I, and somebody said, hey, I, I, I've never thought about it that way. I wrote it down. Um, God plays with loaded dice. We think, we think that we're just throwing dice and that sometimes things just happen the way they do because that's the way they fall. God's got them loaded. He, he makes them come up however he wants them to come up. And that's what he does right here because he wants Zechariah and Elizabeth to be those ones who will raise John. And he has them. He has Zechariah in the temple in that moment, in that time, in history, hundreds and hundreds of years. God has this point in the, in the timeline picked out. And, and that's the way it happens. And, Eli and, and Zachariah is in there, and all of a sudden, an angel appears before him. Now, <coughs> could you imagine? First of, first of all, he has to go through all of these rituals of cleansing to even be able to go into the Holy of Holies and not die. Because in the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant is. And, 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 and so he... He's in there and he's doing his priestly duties. He's burning the incense and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, there's an angel there. I think I would pass out. I don't know. In fact, it says that he was startled, right? 
Um, man, I am so not with my notes right now. Um, Luke 1, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. Because he could only wonder, why is this angel here? And the angel said to him those four words that every angel says to every human being that they ever appear before, at least the ones that we have written in Scripture, do not be afraid. I'm on your side. The angel's like, I'm with you. I am a servant of the Lord. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Another sign that God can do whatever God wants to do, whenever God wants to do it. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The Messiah is coming, Zechariah, and guess what? Your son that you're going to have in your old age is going to be the one who's going to prepare the way. How unbelievably awesome is that? And what does, what does Zechariah do now that he's over his fear of this angel that's standing before him and has just given him this news of this miraculous thing that's going to happen in his life? What does he do? I don't know that he laughs, but he's like, what? How is this supposed to happen? Really? I mean, it's like, it's like somebody tells you some news and you look at them and go, honestly? I mean, really? Are you telling me the truth? Well, if I were telling the, you the truth, I would have started with, to be honest with you. But, right? I mean, anyway. that's So Zacharias says to the angel, verse 18, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. In other words, it can't happen. We're too old. And the angel, and, and I always envision the angel sort of getting bigger here, somehow. You know, he, he, he gets this ominous sort of feel and this, this really deep, booming voice, and he says, My name is Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. I mean, when you think about it, that's a really long time out. You know, we give our kids a five-minute time out in the corner and they think it's an eternity. Zachariah gets nine months. Nine months. And, and Mary, what is it? What, what's, what's, he goes easy on her, right? She asks, how can this be for I am a virgin? And he's like, oh, well, you know, he's all fuzzy and warm about it. Huh? She's 12. She's just a young child. She doesn't know any better. I, I think it's all in the attitude. Um, uh, uh, and it just, just doesn't describe it that way. I think, I think Mary was, it was a sincere, how, how are you going to, kind of a how are you going to do this? And with Zachariah, it's like, are you kidding me? We're old. There ain't no way. Well, he got his time out. 
And, and, and here's something I want you to write down. I didn't put this up on the screen, but I want you to write this down. All of God's words can and should be believed to come true in their appropriate time. All of God's words can and should be believed to come true in their appropriate time. Whatever God tells us, we can take it to the bank. We can be sure of it. If he says he's going to do this, if he says he's going to come again, we know that he's going to come again. Now, it's going to be at the appropriate time, and until that happens, we hold on and we be ready for that time. Because it could be next week, it could be next month, it could be in ten years, it could be in a thousand years. There are so many... Uh, we read, we read in, in the book of Hebrews where there were, there were these giants of faith, Moses and Abraham, where God made covenants and promises with them, yet they didn't see those promises and covenants fulfilled. They died before they were fulfilled, but God still did and fulfilled those covenants. One of them we're reading about right here. That the Messiah is going to come and that, that, that there will be one who will prepare the way for him. Now, I don't, I don't for one minute believe that, that when the angel says that God has heard your prayers, that he was only talking about your prayers for a child. Because the nation of Israel constantly, even now, is praying that the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would come, that the Messiah would come. And the angel says, you know what? It's, he's coming. And he's going to come in your generation. Wouldn't that be amazing? Who knows? God may move in our world today, and it may be you. It, it, it may be me, and are we going to be ready, and are we going to be willing to believe at first voice and trust that when God says he's going to do it, and he's going to do it this way? Or are we going to joke around and laugh and end up mute for nine months? I don't know, or whatever it turns out to be. From the beginning of time, God has been authoring a story that leads to salvation, deliverance, and rescue for all people who will call upon his holy name. And what we read today is the beginning of that action in our history where the coming Messiah, the Deliverer, will be here who will bring a people who are in darkness into a new day of marvelous light. But up to this point... Israel has been waiting. And, you know, we, we often ask God, why? Why this? Why that? Why, why, why did this happen? Why did that happen? But, but I think even when, we, even when it seems like we put our faith in God's plan and we, we think we know what the plan is, the question that usually comes out of our mouth then is, when, God? When are you going to do this? When, and whenever I think of impatience, I think of that commercial. Um, and I, I forget who it is, but, but this person... You know, opens the window and yells out the window, "It's my money and I want it now!" Right? I mean, that's sort of the the the, the cultural impatience that we experience. You know, we we want what we want and we want it today. But any good parent knows that that's not the lessons that you want to teach your children. You don't want to teach your children that they can have whatever they want whenever they want it, because life just doesn't work that way. We have to learn a, a certain amount of patience and 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 Israel is experiencing that and we do too who wouldn't want Jesus to come back tomorrow wow would that be great and we could get all frustrated and impatient and get all upset and what good would that do us none what we can do is we can trust that he's going to do what he says he's going to do when he wants to do it 
and, and we live as faithful Christ followers up until that time. I think God makes us wait intentionally oftentimes. And we need to recognize that that's okay. It's okay. Things happen in God's time, not in our time. Simeon is told to sit in front of the temple and wait for the coming. He is promised. Simeon is promised that his eyes will see the Messiah. I wonder, I wonder if when he received that promise, you know, for the next week or two, he, he went to the temple and he waited and he waited. He's like, okay, it's going to happen. And then a month throughout, and six months throughout, and then a year. I, I just wonder, you know, because he has a couple options. He can wait with expectancy and know that God's going to do it. Or he can kind of grumble and whine and complain that God hasn't done it yet, which is how often I get in, in, in my emotional state. It's like, come on, Lord, really? Could we just get... Could we just get through this lesson in life and move on to the next, more, better one, right? Something better, something more happy, something that doesn't hurt quite so much. Elizabeth and Sarah had to wait to have their children until they were old women. But may this be a reminder to us today that despite our impatience, God remembers and he fulfills his oath for his promises and the covenants that he made and God is eternally gracious. And I like that. I want to include that word eternally. God is eternally gracious. Because he was definitely gracious to Elizabeth and Zechariah and to Abraham and Sarah and, and to many of the, the characters that we read about in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But he continues to be gracious in our lives today. And we need to celebrate that uh, look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Hundreds of years before this event occurred. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. These prophecies that John and, and Jesus will fulfill. See, I will send Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. He did. He came to the temple, Jesus did. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi 3.1 And then Malachi 4, 5, and 6. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And we see when, when Zechariah receives this, this uh, promise about his son John that, that, that the name of Elijah comes up. There was a message of hope the angel of the Lord was bringing to Zechariah to in turn share with his bride who then when she had this child would then go out into the desert and proclaim it to all people. And this is a hope that we can hold on to. John was instructed to abstain from wine and strong drink so that he might instead be filled with the Holy Spirit which ties back to the Nazarite vows which were given in Numbers chapter 6. Write that down, number six, if you'd like to investigate that further, that explain how the prophets of old were consecrated from birth. The hand of God was on them. It wasn't something that came on them later, like maybe we think of Paul, who, who, uh, who came face to face with Jesus. Later in life, and God changed his life. No, these, these children were born for this purpose. 
And Luke is emphasizing the dawning of the Messianic era as a time of the renewal of prophecy. There is not a Messiah of Aaron's lineage. However, in John, who later would be known as the Baptist or Baptizer, the priestly tribe does contribute to the fulfillment of the Messianic hope they all had been longing and praying for over the centuries. And unlike Zechariah's counterpart, uh, Abraham from the Old Testament, Zechariah did not believe in the same way that Abraham did. And instead, Zechariah asked for a sign, and Gabriel gave him one that he would not soon forget. I mean, can we, he he comes out, and and people are waiting. In fact, they're concerned about how long he's been in there. I don't know how long a conversation with an angel would go, especially one where you didn't really believe what he was telling you was going to happen. But if you look at verse 21 there, uh, Luke chapter 1, it says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. What is he doing in there? When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had, he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. And it didn't take long for the men outside to recognize that, that Zechariah had experienced inside the temple something historical. A collective sigh of relief likely was heard up upon Zechariah's exit followed by a collective gasp when they realized he was mute and had seen some kind of vision. Zechariah did his best without his voice to describe what had happened. He, he continued and he finished up his priestly duties for the week and then he retreated back home. And then uh, when Zechariah could speak again, what did he do? He sang a song. He worshipped. He praised the Lord. Nine months to think about this. Nine months to think about his initial unbelief. Nine months to think about the fact that God had, had, had miraculously caused Elizabeth to become pregnant. And then in verse 67, and I'm going to read this and then we're going to close with the song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath we swore to our father Abraham, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert, for he appeared public before until he appeared publicly to Israel. For Israel, the, the hope of salvation was beginning. God, God was making that move 
where, where he was going to instigate the possibility to be, to be reconciled with, with God, the Creator. For us, we know it's happened already. We just have to believe that it did. For, for what we hear, for what He has promised. You know, we can look back and see that He did what He promised. The Messiah came. Jesus died. He rose again. And He ascended and now, seats, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. And we know that when we put our faith and trust in Him, that one day, if we die first, that we will be with Him because He promised that we would be. Or maybe we get to see an unbelievable event occur in our planet when Jesus returns. It, it, it could be. We know it's going to happen and we can believe that. For Israel, the hope of salvation was beginning. For us, we know it's already here. But this morning, as we start Advent, this time of reflection and anticipation and remembering and celebration leading up to Christmas Day, do you ever wake up on the 26th of December and go, wow, Christmas is over? It's like a flash in the pan, right? There's all of this expectation up to the moment. Generally, and for the kids, it's leading up to when the presents are going to be opened. Or, you know, for, for parents, it's when the family's all going to be gathered around a table and, and we're, we're going to be together. And, and then, in less than 12 hours, it's over. But what we need to remember is, is the Advent season, the Christmas, Christmas isn't a day. It's a period of time. And may we not get caught up in all of those other things that we forget. That the purpose of Advent is to raise expectation and anticipation of that celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ. And we can do that today. We can do that tomorrow. We can do that the next day. You know, some, some families are like, well, we had Christmas for three days. You know, we did it at a grandma's on this day and we did it. That's, that's the wrong thinking of what Christmas is. Let, let's think of Christmas as, as what we hear here about this anticipation and, and make it a season and not a moment. Let's worship the Lord as He is the God who remembers, as He is the God who uh, has made promises and oaths and continues to, and who is eternally gracious, no matter what it is we're going through. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the season that we just came through. Thank you for a time to focus on Thanksgiving. And may that carry on, may that attitude carry on into the season of Advent as we think about the events of the past and how they change ultimately the events of the present and the future. Lord, my prayer is that you would help us in this room and those listening and and those that we come into contact with recognize that unlike Santa Claus and other things the events of scripture are rooted in history in reality and Father I pray that we would have those moments of time where we 
as Keith said last week, we don't just sit, we sit and we think. We reflect on what it means to trust you and to hold on to your promises to us and to know and believe that you will fulfill those promises in your time and not ours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Will you please stand with me?